live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good afternoon to everybody around the world, and welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with our guest, wonderful host, and her name is Christina Delena, and she's one of the Toro families of, of persons that work at Toro with us, and uh, we're glad to have her. And she's substitu- substituting for Mr. Chris Davy, who is overseas in England. So, uh, Christine, how are you doing today? I'm good today, Rob. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's beautiful out here. It's warm. They said we're supposed to have showers, thunderstorms, but I haven't seen anything yet. And uh, it's pretty pretty interesting uh, looking. The sky's clear, a uh, few clouds, so I don't know if that's going to happen. They're all talking about monsoon, uh, that we're in the monsoon section here in out in Arizona, so don't know. Uh, and, I, and both of you are in California, but in different locations. And uh, uh, where, where are you at this moment, Christina? I am in Glendora, California, um, huh? 20 miles or so west, or excuse me, east of Pasadena. And, um, yeah, we had that monsoon or freak rainstorm, thunder, lightning um, yesterday, um, early morning. Um, I was already actually at work when most of that started. And then uh, even when I was at home later, it was crazy. I'd like to bring our uh, favorite, one of our favorite people in who does all the California water news. She is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook and just a wonderful person in general. We love her to death. Ms. Chris Austin. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Hey, you know what? I'm doing better because just as this radio show started, my website, which had been down for a couple hours, came back online. So yay! Yay! I know. I'm. I. I really hate technology. You must. Have, you must have scared them. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, I think it was you, Rob. They were like, "Ooh, wow." Well, that's because I had the camera and I saw my face, and they probably got scared. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I I find it interesting that you have a uh, you have a rule apparently that uh, only people named Chris can be on the show with you. So. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I have affinity to that. And yes. I I don't know why that is, but it's always been that way. Well, it used to be Mike. <laughs> yeah, uh, but what was interesting is that when you replaced Mikey with Chris Davy, they looked uh. uh so much similar that you didn't have to change your little caricature in your little drawing now, did you? <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. <laughs> no, I was on all the T-shirts that we had made up and stuff. Yeah, I was kind of cute. And Chris and Chris and I did a lot of stuff uh, for Smart Irrigation Month with the Irrigation Association. We used to come up with cartoons or pictures of us in, in, in funny things with with tigers and lions and elephants and all kinds of stuff. And in the doctor, we were in an operating room and uh, I'm in a doctor's mask and stuff. And I'm pulling out of a, of a sprinkler body, a, a nozzle that was clogged and stuff like that. So yeah, we, we've had a lot of fun with the stuff and same thing with Mike and I, and uh, it, it's great. We appreciate it. But you know, I've been reading your, your, your stuff all day long today. And I can tell you, you cover pretty much every single County in California with everything that's going on. It's it's amazing. Uh, oh, man. I, I, it is crazy the amount of uh, news that there is out there in the news cycle. And, you know, I, I'm, like, doggedly committed to gathering all of it. But, 
yeah, it it takes some time. Uh, it's really really kicking my butt, as I say. It's, you know, but yeah, there's just a lot, and it's only going to get little more. It's only going to get more, much more, because you know we have some big. Uh, we have the big water project coming up. Uh, they're going to be releasing environmental documents for the Delta Conveyance Project, which we've been talking about these tunnels here on the water zone for years because this process has been going on for years, decades, really. Uh, so this latest iteration of this project is going to be coming up for public review uh, it's very controversial, and so it's going to be a lot of arguments coming up. Uh, after after all this time, I thought we I, I thought everybody went through all of this thing for the last couple of years. Oh well, we go through, but we have never made it to the decision point. Uh. And when uh, and they actually the the Department of Water Resources did make a decision on the Cal Water Fix. Um, and that happened right before uh, uh, Governor Brown left office. And then Newsom came into office, and he he uh, said he didn't want to do the twin tunnels. He wanted to do a single tunnel, and sure. it, it essentially kicked it back. But the project was really uh, on its last legs and doomed for many <laughs> reasons at that point. Uh, notwithstanding that, you know, funding was less than assured. Uh, so, you know, now we have this smaller project. Uh, and But, yeah, we're still, we're going to go through and we're gonna argue about it some more. It, it never ends. Oh. <laughs> um, well, yeah. this, you, you talked about this uh, previously in your writings on, on the California uh, Multi-Benefit Land uh, Repurposing Program, and people seem to be, okay with that and they're moving forward with that yeah well they're hoping for uh more more funding for that in the budget uh i think the budget oh i i thought it actually had to be signed last week um it should have been approved but i don't i have not heard how much uh money there is in that for this program but the state is very aware that they need to do such a, a program I think it was forty or forty-eight million, from what I read. Yeah, yeah. There, there's certainly going to be more funding cycles, probably several, of, several of them, because uh, you know, in order to balance the groundwater basins in the Central Valley, uh, it, it's going to mean that land is have, is going to have to be retired uh, because there just isn't enough water for all the the almond trees and and farm activity that's going on right now. And it looks like, uh, you know, the people who have done the, the calculations, uh, looks like it's going to be about 20% or figure, you know, one in five acres is going to become fallow. That's quite a substantial amount, uh, oh, both yeah. economically, but also from the standpoint of, you know, just uh, acres sitting around not doing anything, and you know, you you have a field you just you know that you were cultivating. You just can't turn your back on it and walk away. It's not going to return to whatever it was before. Uh, you know, you're going to get weeds. You're going to get pests. You're going to get dust blowing. You know, in the wind. 
So it, you know you, you have to pay attention to what happens with this farmland. So this program is just kind of helping to get all that uh, all that work going, but it's going to be substantial. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's a lake. I, I don't know how to pronounce. Is it Tule or Tule Lake? Tule Lake. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I hear. I hear that thing is vanishing and and it's affecting ag and people are starting to move and farms are shutting down and it's getting to be pretty. <laughs> pretty bad there. It's been very, you know, Thule Lake is up in the area of the Klamath Basin. And um, in that area up there, it's just been really, really tough for them uh, for a number of reasons. You know, they're also having a drought just like us. The whole West Coast is, you know, in a severe drought. Uh, and Hold on. I'm sorry. That's all right. So the whole Klamath area is is uh, you know it's in dire situation and you know they're not getting irrigation water. Um, they have some wildlife refuges up there, and the the wildlife refuges struggle to have water. Um, you know it's the you know the problem is that there's just not enough water to go around, and so everybody is just trying to get what what they can up there and it's same same thing as everywhere you know but up up in the Klamath it's been going on for a while um and they have a lot of endangered species uh in the rivers and um they have some very active uh successfully uh active tribes that have uh managed to uh they have asserted their rights which they are totally entitled to do. Uh, they have rights from time immemorial is what we say. But as they assert their rights, you know, we no one likes to admit it, but it's a zero-sum game. Um, and so you know, they assert their rights. That means somebody else, you know, um, isn't going to get, isn't going to get water. Uh, and, they, yeah, so it's just a really difficult situation up there. Um, I think also being kind of remote means, you know, a lot of stuff goes down and, you know, nobody really sees it kind of thing. So, but like a, a lot of birds die off from the rest refuges because there's so very little water there. And so they get, you know, the botulism, too many birds and too little water. Sorry, sorry for the interruption I had when you had with your little thing. I just got a thing from the Weather Bureau uh, that there's a dust and rainstorm warning for, for this area where I am at 5 o'clock. And it says, be ready for a sudden drop to zero visibility. Pull aside, stay alive. Uh, when visibility drops, pull far off the road. So I guess we're getting a storm here in the next hour. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and the dust storms are, uh, I mean, that's really... Uh, they have their own little water issue too. Uh, you know the dust storms that you guys have down there in Arizona are they're blowing dust up into the snowpack uh, in Colorado and brown snow now is quite common. Uh, you know and and brown snow means it melts faster. <laughs> White that- snow bounces the sun off. Brown snow, you know. Absorbed. So should, so should Rob be expecting some floods along with these dust storms and uh, to- or uh, monsoons that he's going to be having? 
But yeah, well, hopefully he has monsoons. You hey, know, but I, do, but I do stay away from brown and yellow snow. Just so you know. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely the yellow snow. But no, I we're hoping that it's a, a you know Arizona gets a good monsoon season because this is where a lot of their water supply comes from. It's these monsoons, and last year I think it was. Uh, pretty uh, not a very good year for monsoons i think they called it a non-soon <laughs> non-soon season because nothing came so yeah it's important for it you know the hydrology there in arizona the desert that depends on it you know my uh, husband was driving to arizona a couple nights ago and he he saw in the distance um i think he was going to tempe by the way but he was um he saw in the distance and it looked like a like a funnel cloud. So he thought he was gonna be getting into some monsoon rain, but it ended up being when, when a wind tunnel. And dust oh. it was a dust storm. It was like a dust bowl. Yeah. So he said it looked so pretty until I got close and then it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> there's, no there's of, Christine, I'm sure you have some follow up uh, stuff that you were looking at earlier. Um Actually, she answered the one thing I was going to ask about, but I actually wanted to go back to a conversation we were having about the Salton or the yeah the Salton Sea. Oh, one of my favorite places. That was and that was before just our audience knows that was before the uh, show started. But but go ahead, that's an interesting place. Oh yeah, the Salton Sea. It's it's a crazy place. Yeah, I was telling um, I, I was telling the story to Rob and and Christina about you know, how the Salton Sea fishery came to be. Uh, it's it's such an interesting place. You know, the Salton Sea, um, it, it sort of was formed by man's accident. Uh, a levee uh, broke uh, over by... Now, and the Colorado River is nowhere near Southern California, but way over on the Colorado River... They had a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a levee. They they cut a, a hole to deliver water to the Imperial Valley, and they failed to put a gate up on it. Um, they always meant to go back and, and put up the gate, but they hadn't gotten around to it. And then they got one of these rip-roaring floods down the Colorado River, and it ripped open that gate, and it flowed into the Imperial Valley, and it caused all kinds of flooding um, and in the end, what we were left with was the Salton Sea. Uh, so the Salton Sea in the 60s sort of became the poor man's salt, the poor man's Palm Springs, regular Palm Springs for regular people. If you couldn't afford all, you know, everything over there in the Art deco Palm Springs area. And they sold some uh, houses out there and lands, but it, it never really came to be. But it was a very popular fishing lake for quite some time. And they, they used to have boat races out there, too. But it was the interesting thing about the Salton Sea is that the Department of Fish and Wildlife was said, you know, well, hey, let's put some fish in this lake here that we that's been created here well where can we go get some fish well the water was kind of salty so they said hey let's go down to the sea of cortez and so they went down there with some big big nets and they just went through the water gathered up whatever they found uh, whatever they caught went back and just dumped it into the salt and sea and some of those fish did really well and some of the fish you know, didn't 
Um, and as the um, as the sea has grown saltier and saltier, uh, more fish have just died off. I think there there's only tilapia left, and they apparently can uh, tolerate high salinities. And I think that's the only fish left. But what the big enduring thing from going down to the Sea of Cortez and the nets is one of the things they brought up were pile worms. And the pile worms love the salt sea, so it's quite abundant in pile worms. And the good thing about that is that's what feeds the birds. They eat the pile worms. So, <laughs> And the pile worms persist to this day. But the salt and sea and the fish that are in it is just a very unique, novel, kind of like the sea, a man-made fishery of sorts. It's quite interesting. Yeah. I still think they get big fish die-off from, you know, <laughs> periodically. Well, yeah, I think they got mercury and sulfur and all kinds of other stuff over there. Oh, yeah. It, it's just so, it's just too bad that lake didn't become anything because it's so big. Well, yeah, but it's not, in a sense, it's not meant to be there. <laughs> and, and the problem that it has is it, it has no natural water running into it. It's only fed by uh, the irrigation runoff from the Imperial Valley. Uh, the Coachella Valley, which is on the north end of the Salton Sea, you're not allowed as a farmer to have any tailwater coming off your land. You must use all your water on your land, no tailwater. But uh, but down in the Salt Sea, they fully admitted for many, many years that about a third of the water that they got from the Colorado River ended up in the Salt Sea. And so when things started getting tough on the uh, on on the Colorado River, uh, a lot of the upstream water agencies and water interests sort of looked at that and said, look, a third of that water going to the Salt Sea, that's, you know, that's waste. You can't you can't do that. So that's when they started cutting down on California's apportionment and, you know, they did a deal with the Imperial Irrigation District. And I, I mean, that's a whole nother story in and of itself. <laughs> that's yeah, that's interesting. And gosh, a third. That's, I mean, just that's just crazy. Oh, yeah. But they had to leach. The, they, they needed to do a lot of leaching that the. The trick with the Imperial Valley is it's already there's salts in the soil. And then by the time that the water, the Colorado River water, gets to Yuma Dam where it's diverted into the down to the Imperial Valley, it's already collected so many salts that if you know, they have these big iron gates, you know, in the water that they use to, you know, bring it into the facility and they have to put anodes. They hang anodes in front of it so that the the gates don't rust out prematurely because of the salt in the water. I mean, it's you know it's very salty, so they're putting salty water on salty soil, and so there's just a lot of leaching. So that's where so much of the the waste came from. But it, I mean, it is waste. It's you're, it's just going down there, um, you know, running off your fields and going down there. Well. I mean, I'm emptying out water bottles and anything into plants. You know, if somebody leaves half a water bottle or I don't finish a water cup, I, I put it in plants. I can't imagine losing a third of third of water. Oh, and and I should say that, you know, um, I do believe that they've really cut a lot of that, if not 
most of that out over you know the last five ten years because because of this agreement that they did, and so that's one of the problems why the salt sea is is they, you know a lot of uh, articles talk about it dying. It's because there's no natural inflow, there's no river or stream that goes there. Very little water falls in that area on any kind of regular basis, and so. Um, uh, <laughs> So you know it's um, so it's it's receding, and as it recedes, the playa, the you know the lake bed uh, dries out, and then you get winds, and then that creates the dust storms uh, reminiscent of Owens Lake. So it, you know there's just so many things going on with the Salton Sea. Oh well, it's been that way for many years and everything else. So I don't know how how it's going to get better. No one really has a great plan for it. I think it's a, it's a real conundrum. I mean, it's, it's where it supports a lot of birds. It's a very important stop on the Pacific flyway. Uh, you know, the water that used to go to the Colorado river Delta where those birds would have gone now goes to the salt and sea and they found it. It supports a lot of birds, no. but how are you going to support a, an inland sea in the middle of a desert that gets very little water in a world where we're really challenged for water sources, you know, for cities and farms and other ecosystems. So how can you support this? It's, you know, it, it's, I, I don't have an answer. No, and nobody has, nobody has for the last 30 something years. So, uh, yeah. yeah, well, we're it's going to have a real Yeah. We're coming up against our commercial break, and Christine, uh, we do appreciate uh, you giving us the update. Like I said, I I read this morning. I, I I I had ten separate subjects to ask you about, and each one can be its own show because you you've gone into great detail. So we appreciate it. To our listeners, go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, become a sponsor. It's a great way to get all your latest water news. It's the best that you can find anywhere, and stuff that you don't find anywhere. She has. I don't know. How you have those connections, but you sure have have them, and and you give us the right information right on time. So we appreciate that, Chris. We will talk to you next weekend or next week, actually, not weekend. All right. Good evening. Thank everyone. you. I learn something new every time. All right. Absolutely. That's 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 the good news of this thing. So we'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to talk about uh, a, a very good subject about rivers and uh, what's happening with them, and uh, got some pretty good guests coming on. So stick around for the second half. We'll be right back. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that needs no listener behind. They love you, they love you not, they love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it. Instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers. And you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. 
Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. If you knew there was a pipe really? cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8337. All right, so welcome back to the second half uh, of the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Ms. Christina Delano. And uh, we're bringing on one of our good buddies, uh, Travis Luke from Luke Communications. And he's going to be speaking with Matt Rice, talking about the most endangered river in the United States. Christina, do you know what that is? I'm going to have to assume it's the Colorado. You got it. So let's hear from uh, Travis. Travis, take it, take it away. Most endangered river 2022, the Colorado. For this episode, we're going to talk about the most endangered river in 2022, an announcement that's made by American Rivers, joined by Matt Rice. He is director of the Southwest Region for American Rivers. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Travis. All right. So uh, this year, 2022, what is the most endangered river in America? This year, it should be no surprise to anybody, but we are listing the Colorado River as the number one most endangered river in the country mm. because of the effects of climate change, um, demand for the river's water, and um, outdated river management. Great. Well, I want to dive into each of those buckets uh, during our conversation here. But uh, you're out there. You're in Colorado. This, you're the Southwest guy for American rivers. What's going on with the Colorado these days? What's kind of the state of the river? Well, we're we're in a crisis. Um, it's a crisis we've many of us have seen coming for for many many years. Um, over the last twenty years, the river has lost about twenty percent of its flow, which is pretty a pretty remarkable statistic. And and I think a lot of climate projections are suggesting that we could lose an additional ten to twenty percent more of the water available in in the river. And and um, we're 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 at this key point right now. Reservoir levels are dropping precipitously both in Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Um, runoff is not what it was or historically has been. Um, just very, very simply, we don't have the river that we used to have. And 
we need to take proactive measures. We need to be in solution mode to implement um, the types of projects that build resilience for the Colorado River Basin, types of projects that help water users across all sectors use less water. Um, and we need to do that now. And we have an opportunity, a once in a generation opportunity um, with the passage of the, the infrastructure bill that directs $8.3 million, billion dollars with a B, um, uh, to Western water. And we want to see, we want to see that water, that, that money put to good use. Hmm. Yeah. Like you said, in the beginning, you said no surprise that the Colorado was selected this year. The, you know, the, the news is just full of headlines about the situation on the river, not just in the West, but we, we see it back here in the East where I am, those stories, uh, what Lake Powell, Lake Mead at their lowest levels ever since the dams were built, uh, to create those two lakes. That's, you know, alarm bells going off to me um and it's it's uh it's kind of scary i always see the stories about snowpack also right like snow's not coming that's that melt that you guys depend on in the spring to to replenish the water supply and everything so you mentioned three buckets here climate change as one of them um what's really going on Uh, talk a little bit more about the impacts uh and future threats of climate change for the colorado river yeah well um The climate crisis, I think from our perspective, is a water crisis. And ground zero for that crisis is the Colorado River Basin. Um, this region is is heating at a faster rate than, than most other regions in the world um, because it's a hotter, drier climate. Um, throughout the entire year, that sucks water and moisture out of the soil, out of the rivers, out of the reservoirs. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of focus has been put on snowpack in the past. And the interesting thing now that we're seeing is we're having average years, maybe a little bit below average, maybe a little bit above average over the last several years. Um, but that's not translating to more water in the river because the soils are so dry, because it's so much hotter, because it's so much more arid. Just the environment sucks more water and that water is not making it to the river. Um, we're not able to deliver it to downstream in the headwaters of Colorado, not able to deliver as much to downstream states and water users as we have in the past. And that that creates uh, legal issues and complexities, to say the least. Mm. That's one thing that I, I guess I've seen in stories, but I don't think about as much, and maybe others don't think about, the idea that it's, it's not just that there's less water coming from the sky, less snow melting, but the, the higher temps uh, are evaporating water that's in the soil. And that's just all part of the complexity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. It's hard to, it's hard to, we're kind of behind the ball and it's, we're finding it harder and harder to catch up. So again, this, this year uh, we're, we, we have about an average, average snowpack year kind of across the upper basin, Colorado and Wyoming. Um, but we're, we're projected to deliver just a fraction of what we normally would uh, to Lake Powell. So what are the proposed solutions? What actions does American Rivers think should happen to try to address the impacts of climate change? That's a big, that's a big problem to, to deal with for sure. But what are some of the steps? Yeah, sure. So it's, you know, more than anything, right? I mean, we have to take advantage of this, this, this new federal funding, um, to, to invest in climate resilience, not only in Colorado, but throughout the Western United States. Um, again, there's $8.3 billion directed towards Western water. Um, these solutions that we talk about, you can find them on, on our 10strategies.net report that American Rivers contributed to with many others. Um, 
they're not they're not groundbreaking. They're 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 all they're all interventions that you have you have heard before, you've talked about, you understand things like modernizing agricultural or other water infrastructure. A lot of the infrastructure that delivers water in the Colorado River Basin um, is very old and it's not efficient. It leaks. Um, and it's also very expensive to fix. And we have an opportunity to do that now. Um, investing in recycling and reuse in our urban areas. So we don't we could we could use water more times. We can we can squeeze more drops out of the water, uh, the water that we have, which is less than we had before. Um, investing in in watershed health and forest health um, has water benefits. It also um, it also builds resilience uh, against catastrophic wildfire. That's that's more and more common um, in this world of climate change that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the the reuse and the recycling. I am always amazed uh, that there's not like a real urgent push on water reuse and recycling, right? Like, uh, there's some exciting stuff happening at a, on a big scale um, in San Diego or mm -hmm. uh, down in. Oh gosh, they're they're planning some big stuff in LA, right? Like really mm -hmm. taking this water, cleaning it so it's it's like basically good enough for drinking water and using it again. And I'm just like, why are there not just this urgent effort to get that going across the across the West? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's with a lot of a, a lot of those activities, a lot of those different solutions. It's um, there are there are there are very good things happening out there. It's starting to ramp up. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. What what we're concerned about is that you know we we need we need that urgency now we need that kind of urgent implementation we need leadership from the states from the federal government um, to support those efforts um, none of us can do this alone right I mean we 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 are not going to win if we aren't if we aren't figuring out new ways to work together to get this stuff to scale so it's it's happening it just needs to happen more and bigger and more scaled yeah absolutely uh, one of the other issues you point to with the Colorado that has it as most endangered in, in 2022 here is the idea of water management kind of being outdated. What does that mean? Well, um, there's a long history on the Colorado River. This is the 100th year anniversary of the signing of the Colorado River Compact, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, <clears throat> that was a time when the hydrology was different. The river was, was different, was bigger. Um, or at least there was an assumption that it was a bigger river <laughs> and it was divided up to manage it that way. Um, and we've largely kind of stayed true to 1922 as far as how much water is available in the river to develop. Um, that's not the reality now. Uh, we have a much smaller river when we, you know, we had historically made decisions based on a 15 to 17 million acre foot river. Um, now we need to start making decisions based on a river that's maybe nine to 11 million acre feet. That's a significant that's a significant difference in size, right? And so we need to, um, you know, we need to kind of face the truth here and accept that. And that's, um, in order to do that on, on the management side, we need to think creatively about how we manage the river in more flexible ways, considering that, that, that because of climate change, the hydrology is going to be increasingly uncertain from year to year to year. So we need the tools to be able to manage the river um, in a more flexible way. That being said, it's our it's from our perspective we're not going to be able to manage our way out of this crisis so it's both it's both going to require f increased flexible water management but also massive investment 
in the solutions that I just talked about. So forest health, watershed health, infrastructure. Um, one thing I didn't mention before, how can we invest in our soils so agriculture can continue to be productive and profitable and grow food for the country? Um, uh, are we growing the right crops in all the right places? We should, we should, we should think about how we, how we do that. Can we, can we grow more drought resistant crops and do we have the funding and the support from the states and the federal government to do that at, at scale? Yeah, sure. Uh, the idea that there is not as much water in the river as, you know, was estimated a hundred years ago, or even that, that, uh, is allocated now, um, what's it going to take to get the powers that be, we'll just call them to say, you know what, this is how much water we're going to say is in the river. We're, we're shrinking the size of the pie and then we're going to divide it based on that. That seems like a very important fundamental step to everything else. Well, it, that, that may be the step that we need to take. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily comment on that because mm. that's, that's an incredibly complex question, right? Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hundred years of, of management in the basin, um, kind of being flipped, flipped in the other direction. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that could be part of it, but I think it, there are other tools, you know, that we okay. can use. We can look at annual hydrology I'm, and I'm not advocating for any one policy here, but I'm just saying that sure. there, are, there are other ways to look at, at how we manage the river just rather than based kind of solely on lower basin and upper basin supplies. Maybe we can combine them. Maybe we can be more flexible about how we move water from one place to another that that is beneficial for the environment, for fish and wildlife. Um, the river runs through nine national parks. Mm. Um, so there are there are natural values that are are really important to manage for as well. Um, and that needs to be that needs to be part of the equation. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Understood. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is about managing the river equitably. So one of the reasons that Colorado is is holding this spot as most endangered is is the the problems that are going on on that front. What what are the problems? How is the Colorado not being managed equitably right now? Sure. Well, I, I uh, yeah. So I mean, there are there are more than thirty Native American tribes that that depend on the Colorado River. Um, uh, these tribes are, hold the right to, to very significant, very senior water rights, um, many of which have not been fully developed. Um, yet historically, uh, the tribes have not had um, an equal or an equitable um, or meaningful kind of voice at the policy decision-making table. And if we're going to have a sustainable Colorado River, um, we need critically, critically, critically important stakeholders like like the tribes to be part of those discussions in a in in a more meaningful way than they have been in the past. Um, it seems like there's a lot of attention on that, so it might be an area that um, could be addressed easier or sooner. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with every decision in the basin, it's another opportunity for mm. for the to for the tribes to have a kind of an equal an equal seat at the table. Um, and again, I mean, it's it's so critically important um, that 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 happens, uh, not only for equitable water management, but for the future of the river. I mean, they the the, the tribes need to be be front and center in decision making. Sure, um, wanted to ask you uh, just about the Southwest and and 
you've got these just booming cities, cities that continue to grow, right? Phoenix, uh, Denver, where you are, um, you know, St. George, Utah, whatever it might be, you know, like just rapid growth. It's an amazing part of the country. People want to live there, right? Um, How do you balance that with just the simple water needs, the reality of how much water is in that river, what the future looks like? Um, You know, how, how, how can that, that, development, population growth, all that water needs that come with that be balanced with the reality of the Colorado river. That's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, and, it's almost and like I, one of those, uh, big philosophy questions. There's no real answer to you're just meant to think about it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, I do think there's an answer. Um, and I think there are models too, right. It's so, um, in many places like Denver, um, like Albuquerque, like, Tucson, Arizona, like Las Vegas, um, we've seen massive population increase, um, but we've actually seen a reduction in water use. Mm. Um, these places are 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 growing smarter. Um, they're growing maybe even a little bit denser. There's less turf, less lawn to to water. Um, they're growing in a way that that reflects where they are, which is the desert southwest. And so there is a way to do this. Um, it's uh, it can be a challenge in a place like like Colorado or Arizona where there is a desire for for large landscaped yards, for example. And in, in Colorado, um, uh, like Arizona, where we are aware of our our water supply limitations, um, as evidenced by how expensive it is to deliver water to new newly built subdivisions and everything else. Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect um, with. You know, maybe some elected officials in Colorado that look to the east and see nothing but kind of undeveloped plain and in their heads, probably subdivisions popping up, popping up everywhere. Um, but there, but, but that view and those hopes and dreams aren't necessarily connected, um, to water supply. So, and that, that's, that's a, this is part of a, I think a bigger question from my perspective is that, um, you know, when we, when we go to the bathroom or we go to the kitchen, we turn on the faucet, the water comes out, right? So we, we, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to realize in any, any real fundamental way, um, that there's a drought that is having massive impact on the environment, on fish, on farms and other parts of the state when our tap keeps, keeps getting turned on or when, um, our tap keeps getting turned on and water keeps coming out. And then there are, there are no mandatory water restrictions during a time of drought in some of these urban areas. So we can keep watering our lawn like we have in the past. Um, so there's a disconnect about where this water comes from. And that's critically important. It's, it's not only important for kind of on the individual level, how we use water, how much water we water our lawns with, how long we take showers, et cetera. Um, it's important that we, we know that connection and we hold our elected leaders accountable that they know our elected leaders know that that water and climate resilience is important for the future of Colorado or Arizona or New Mexico. Um, and, and that they, they vote that way. I mean, that, I think it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a bigger, bigger political challenge than just kind of individual use. Mm. Both are important, but yeah. Yeah. So great. Well, so Colorado River, most endangered 2022 American Rivers has put it in that spot. Um, and 
I guess wanted to close by asking, what's the purpose of that? You put you put out this report, you identify this river. What do you hope that 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 does? Well, I think for um, for like for you, Travis, and and your listeners are all over the country. I'm assuming. Yep. Um, and, you know, I really want we really want folks to know that um, you know this is not just a regional issue that you can read about in some newspaper. This is important to people that live in Connecticut or Florida or even, you know, other parts of the world. Um, I mean, this is, the, the, the stakes are massively high. This river provides water to, to approximately 40 million people. It drives a $1.4 trillion economy, probably much larger than that because that number is from 2014. Um, so if we're, if we're unable to meet these challenges at this time of crisis, um, this is a, this is a national crisis. Um, and I, 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 I say that just to, to, to connect it to your listeners in Connecticut, for example, sure, right? Sure. I mean, it, it's like, if, 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 if we're unable to meet this, this challenge and the river crashes, um, it's, it's going to have implications far, far beyond the Southwest. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, it was good talking to you. Sorry, it was about a little bit of a bummer subject, <laughs> you know, right? Then kind of, but it's but it's good. The Colorado River is amazing. It's a beautiful part of the country. It's important to get this information out there. Uh, but like you pointed out throughout the conversation today, there are solutions. There are actions yes. that we can take, and so I think that's what the focus is. The focus should be on, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I, I am optimistic. If we work together, we can accomplish anything. We have the tools. We have the resources now with the Infrastructure Act. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it. We got to be in solution mode. Yeah. can do this. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. Great to talk to you. Well, Christina, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty accurate on uh, what's happening with the Colorado River and uh, kind of scary. And, that is for sure. You know, we're, I, I live out here in, uh, in the West Valley of Phoenix, and it's called Buckeye. Buckeye is the fastest growing, according to, according to the news, the, 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 the fastest growing city in the country. And I live in a, a private community within, within that city of Buckeye, but they're talking about building a huge, huger complex with over a hundred thousand homes, uh, not too far from here within, within the city. And I, I've arranged to uh, go to our, our sister NBC TV, uh, group, and they're going to connect in. We're going to connect into them, and they're going to give us some information. It's uh, KPNX and it's Channel 12 out here in Arizona, and they're going to give us some information on what's happening with this new thing they're going to do. And water is a big issue. So, um, our engineer Eric, please connect us with uh, with them. California just had the driest start to its year in history, with the Western drought now in its third year. Those conditions are threatening every aspect of the area's economy, including real estate which is now facing a growing tug-of-war between a housing shortage and a water shortage. Diana Olick explains as part of her continued series on the rising risks from climate change. On a vast swath of land in Buckeye, Arizona, just west of Phoenix, the Howard Hughes Corporation is developing one of the largest master plan communities in the nation, Douglas Ranch, flooding the desert with housing. There's a shortage on the ground right now of homes that are needed. Howard Hughes CEO David O'Reilly claims water will not be a problem. Every home will have low flow fixtures, natural desert landscaping, drip irrigation, 
and reclamation. 100,000 homes with big public names like Pulte, Taylor Morrison, Lennar, D.R. Horton, and Toll Brothers expected to build them. And it's just one of more than two dozen developments in the works around Phoenix, all as the West is in the midst of a 1,000-year drought. They're expecting the growth in this area to be a million people. And there isn't the water to sustain that growth, not, not with groundwater. ASU Senior Water Research Fellow Kathleen Ferris produced a documentary about the state's 1980 Groundwater Management Act. It requires developers to prove there is 100 years worth of water in the ground on which they're building. Douglas Ranch sits on the Hasayampa Aquifer, which will be its primary source of water. The problem is that with climate change, there aren't backup water supplies that you can use to save a development that's based totally on groundwater. If it loses all of its water supply, there's no water to back that up. This whole area is clearly at the crossroads of construction and climate, but the U.S. is facing one of the worst housing shortages in history. It's estimated we need over a million more homes just to meet the current demand. And the Phoenix area is one of the most active for home construction. I don't think the answer is to tell people that are looking for an affordable home in Arizona, you can't live here, go somewhere else. I think the responsible answer, the thoughtful answer, is to build them affordable homes, but to build it in a self-sustaining manner. Mark Staff is director of ASU's real estate development program at the W.P. Carey School of Business. So should Wall Street be concerned about investing in housing out in Arizona? No. Why not? Because I think that there is the understanding of this particular risk and there is sufficient evidence and facts that support the continued growth based upon what we know today. But Stapp concedes current development plans exacerbate that. I would say that there's a legitimate concern about our future and policymakers are very aware of this. A report just last spring from ASU's Kyle Center for Water Policy warned the amount of groundwater in the Hasayampa subbasin is considerably less than regulators estimate, and that without a change in direction, the physical groundwater supply underneath Buckeye will decrease and will not be sustainable. The bottom line is that there are places in this state, in this valley, where there are sufficient water supplies to support new growth. We don't need to go way out in the desert and pump groundwater to build but new homes. But the land is cheaper out here. Well, at some point, there's a cost to that. That report also says that the 100-year model for groundwater is constantly changing, especially given the changing climate. The state's Department of Water Resources is now in the process of determining if the basin does, in fact, have 100 years worth of water. Brian? Uh, so much to talk about there, Diana. I, and I, your point about being cheaper was right. There's a place called Victorville. You probably know it. My dad and I used to ride dirt bikes out there when I was a kid growing up in L.A. Now it's like a suburb of Los Angeles, even though it's, you know, 75 miles out. I get it. Uh, she was talking about there are places that have enough water. Is there a way to, like, replenish the groundwater from other reservoirs to these reservoirs or to move stuff from where the water needs to be. I'm thinking of the movie Chinatown in my head. 
Well, that's what's been happening in the past, and sometimes developers will even buy water from farmers. But the less water that there is available because of climate change, that is restrictions now on the Colorado River, and less water in the reservoirs, then their ability to buy that water, move that water, replenish those areas is less and less possible. Well, what's interesting is, it was interesting, Christina, in the east part of Buckeye, there's a million, millions of acres of water, uh, but it's deeply salinated. And we had on a gentleman a couple of weeks back uh, who's an inventor who's created an inland uh, solar-powered uh, desalination plant. And, and to build that one uh, facility that they're talking about with 100,000 homes, and like I said, this is the fastest-growing city in the country right now, I mean, prices on homes since I built my home uh, within the last two years has doubled in price. And yet, with all the inflation that's going on, it's going to be real tough to see really what happens if the market slows down. So it's going to be an interesting ride, and we, we won't know that for a couple months. But uh, water's certainly a big conversation out here in Arizona. I bet. And, you know, we've been going out to spring training in Phoenix or Goodyear to go see the Dodgers you know, over the last few years, and we always would stop in Buckeye because there's a, um, you know, there's a, it's like a nice spot to stop before you get into the main town, into Phoenix. Yep. And I've watched that area grow immensely, and I'm not surprised that it's the, the fastest growing. Half of Toro seems to be retiring there. So. <laughs> that's that's true. Well, we're coming up against our regular, no, we thank, we thank uh, uh, Channel 12, uh, KPNX, uh, for helping us out with that. I thought that was an interesting conversation when I was talking to them. They thought this would be appropriate uh, to talk about. So uh, we do thank them very much. So to all of our listeners everywhere around the country and around the world, uh, we do appreciate you listening in. And, Christina, stay with us next week. I know uh, uh, Chris isn't, uh, Chris Davey isn't going to be back until uh, after the 4th. And uh, we love having you on. And maybe we can talk a little sports and water. We'll talk about that. Price of water at the baseball stadium. Football stadiums. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know how much it is at the new uh, Ram Stadium. Everything no. there is like I, ridiculous. I, 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 you're right. So, what, what Chris and I always tell everybody to end the show is please help keep our planet blue because if you really like green, you got to have blue. So, good night, everybody. And we'll join, join back together with you next week. Have a pleasant weekend. Good night. Good night. KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. NBC News Radio, I'm Chris Caraggio. President Biden calls himself deeply disappointed by the Supreme Court's ruling in a closely watched concealed carry gun.